Well, hello, 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 and God bless you. Good to see you here and have you with us in the building as well as online. Let us uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we appreciate you, we honor you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, God. We ask that you would bless us and illuminate our minds and our hearts in the study, strengthen us and encourage us and help us to get something from it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so we're going to just jump right into what we were discussing on Sunday. Let it sit there for a minute. What we were talking about was, I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And then I made reference to the fact that I wasn't going to really give any address to this right away that I was just going to leave the title up there and come back and grab it later. So that's exactly what I did. But then what I did after that is I shifted to the previous sermon from the previous week, which was this shaken faith. And we took some time and we talked about shaken faith, what it means to have a faith that is shaken, which is really a faith that is being tested. And we feel like we are, we've been in a season of testing. And so Looking at the definition of shaken that we used, we use this definition. Having had one's composure or confidence upset, shocked, or disturbed. And so last week, the full premise of last week, and we end up bringing up the idea of the snow globe, how a snow globe can be shaken. And actually, there's a beauty in the shaking, but there are certain things that remain unshakable in the process. And so the idea was to understand that you can have had your composure or confidence upset, shocked or disturbed and still be OK, still be unshakable and still have your faith. Some Christians assume that if you have a season of doubting, you don't have faith, but actually it's a part of the process. You can have a very strong faith and still deal with doubts. And sometimes it is not until your faith is tested that you know how strong your faith is. And it's tested by doubt. It's tested by setbacks, tested by being shaken. And so keeping with that theme and uh, the reason why is because even personally, my emotions are still very raw. I'm still I can't I can't preach like I'm on the mountaintop because I'm not. Now, there's some times where uh, as a leader, I will preach in places I'm not. But this is when when the whole congregation goes through something, when the whole city is going through something. I, I can't do that. I've got to be where we all are and talk from there. And so that's what we're talking about, because we're all in that situation right now. Many of us are. Maybe I shouldn't say all. I can say many and sometimes the majority of us have been in situations where there's just a lot of shock and disturbance. And a lot of it has to do with death. There's just been so much consistent, continual death that we have to deal with that it's hard to get your bearings. So having said that, I want to look at some more scripture. Let's look at Psalms chapter 30. So. Going back of where we left off with the shaken, I like this verse here. Psalms 30, verse six says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Well, the previous week, we showed that fact that you actually can be shaken. 
and still be unshakable, still be part of the unshakable kingdom. We used two scriptures. One talked about the unshakable kingdom. Another talked about shaken. So here the writer, the psalmist, which I believe is David, said, when I was secure, I said I will never be shaken. I want to go back to that. And I, I liked what he's saying there. He says, when I felt secure, I said I will never be shaken. So there's a, there's a certain time of security that makes you project into the future. And you feel like I will never be shaken. But the problem is what happens when it happens. I said is I, I won't be shaken. And you don't plan to be shaken. But when you get shaken, then it's hard to say, I'll never be shaken because now you're shook. So what do you do with that? So I wanted to go to that the next verse, verse uh, seven. It says, Lord, when you favor me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now we're seeing a duality, a a dichotomy that is what I would call diametrically opposed. They're not the same. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. One situation, I felt secure, and I said I'll never be shaken, never be shaken because of this security that I feel. Then we come all the way over here, and he says, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. So now the reason why I felt that I wasn't going to be shaken is because I was operating in the favor of God. And I was on top of the mountain. I felt firm. But then it says, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So I got two different experiences, but they're coming from the same God. I have a God that has favored me. That's why I felt secure, felt like I would never be shaken, felt like I was on the mountaintop. But now this same God, I'm saying he's hid his face from me and now I'm dismayed. So how do you go from one end to the other? And in Christian terms, it's easy to blame everything on the devil. Well, the devil did this. The devil did that. We're spiritual warfare, which is true. But David was like, some of this, God, you could have stopped. You brought the favor, but you didn't hide the other side. Okay, maybe the devil did it, but God, you allowed it. So even though I'm upset with the devil, I got a lot of questions with you, God. And when you're in a place where you have questions for God. That is a shaken feeling because I really don't know where to turn. Who I need to turn for strength is the very person I need to ask, well, why didn't you stop this? Or the, or if you don't go there, you question yourself, okay? Maybe it's not God, but maybe I blew it somewhere. Well, truth of the matter, we've all blown it. So which area do I point to where I've blown it to show why I feel the way I feel. Cause was it this? Was it that? Was it that? But if it was that, I thought you forgave me. I thought your grace was sufficient. So are you punishing me for something I did a long time ago? There's a whole lot of confusing thoughts that go through your mind. And what I was trying to bring up on Sunday is understanding that that is part of the human experience. Don't get so deep that you don't give yourself permission to be human and also permission to understand that the human touch is actually needed and necessary. Even though God is God and you can talk to him, sometimes he's reserved some answers so you can talk to other people. 
that so maybe you might need to get into therapy. God has actually created therapists that can help you talk through things. And we just want to go and pray to a God that we can't see. And sometimes God is trying to hold back to get us to use the resources that he's already made available to us. Some of the resources are really simple. It's a resource called rest, sleep. God, you won't answer me. God, I just wish you would answer me. God, I wish you would say something. God is saying, shut up and go to sleep because that's what your body needs. Yes, I'm going to show you answers. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to uh, help you. But right now, you just need some human things. You need some rest. Maybe you just need to eat. I feel I feel moody. I feel bad. And God, I need you to come through and I need you to shift my mood, shift the atmosphere. And God is saying, just eat a peppermint because your sugar low. And maybe when you get your sugar up, you can think better. Some things are not so deep as we make them because life is just life sometimes. And so there, one good thing that comes out of the shaking, sometimes it shakes us out of this spiritual mindset that everything is out in some deep place. Some things are really simple and right in front of us. Sometimes we perish because of just simple lack of knowledge, simple things, things that are, well, well, God, you know, I, I thought you were going to stretch my gas and then I got on the highway and I ran out of gas. Well, the simple thing is you probably should have filled up before you left. Some things you don't need to pray about. You don't need to get deep about. They are human. And when life begins to come, sometimes you have to deal with life on life's terms and not be so deep. Some things are quite simple and we don't like being shaken. But sometimes the shakenness or the shaking, it actually can develop us. It teaches us one thing, like we talked about last week. There are some things that are unshakable that will always remain. But there are some things that are shaken and they should be shaken. And sometimes the shaking brings clarity. Sometimes the shaking makes you step back and look at the big picture. Sometimes the shaking makes you slow down. Sometimes you're moving too fast. You just need to slow down. Sometimes the shaking forces you to rest, forces you to reminisce. One thing that death does, it forces reminiscence, forces you to grab for memories, forces you to think about conversations that you were present for but weren't, wasn't really present for. And they went into your subconscious. And now that that person's gone, those things come back and you think about them differently than you thought about them in the moment. It it brings a certain humanity to all of us. It slows us down. And some of that is good. The way it comes sometimes is bad, but sometimes that is good for our moving forward to teach us to be present. Let me give you an example real quick. We're easy to be in this all the time. But sometimes life makes you put this down and be present in the moment. One of the things I like to do, I like to go on vacations and I like to in my vacations. I think about uh, the people that follow me. I think about my friends, my social media friends. So I'm taking pictures because I want to post them. I want people to see what I'm able to see. But sometimes while I'm looking through this, I forgot to look in my eyes and see the beauty that I'm looking at because I'm trying to get the perfect shot. And sometimes I just got to put that down and just like just take in what I'm seeing and not think about my followers. Just 
think about me for a moment and just look at the beauty. And and it sometimes reminds you like, oh, wow, I forget. Another thing that happens, if you go to a venue, a concert, and you may sit in a, uh, a place where you're close, you can see well, but you're so used to train to look at the screens that you'll find yourself. I could look at them with my natural eyes, but I'm looking at the screen because we're so trained to look at that. And you forget, I paid money to be close so I can see them. So if I was just going to look at the TV, I could have stayed at home. I need to look at what I'm looking at. So certain things in life force you to get out of the routine. And it's not always bad that you're forced out of the routine. So that's what David is dealing with in, in this uh, contextualist, what he's dealing with. But I like how he ends with the fact that he was dismayed. So I wanted to back up a few verses because I dropped in verse six. I thought maybe if I back up for a few verses, it'll give me even better context because how did he go from not being shaken to being dismayed? Because those are really diametrically opposed. All right, let's look at verse four. It seems that way. Look at verse four. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. Okay, maybe this is going to grab and give me context. Now, on Sunday, I I mentioned the fact that I'm purposely jumping around in this chapter for uh, what I need to teach. Now, you, you may it may be more apropos to look at it in its full context. But for what I'm teaching, I'm doing this purposely. And so when you get to verse four, and you're thinking about the praises of God. You're like, okay, that that makes sense, because when praises go up, blessings come down. But at verse four, you're praising him. But by the time you get to verse seven, you're dismayed. Now, of course, uh, this is David writing and he's putting it in uh, poetic form. So it doesn't mean this is the way it chronologically happened in his life. But for us who are reading in the verses, it seems interesting that you would have one verse here. And within a few verses, it's a total different experience. So we're trying to figure out why. So then we looked at verse five. And it says this, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night. King James says weeping may endure for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning or joy comes in the morning. So this does not give me any relief in understanding the chapter because I've heard that particular verse preached a lot in churches. I've seen in that and the power that you see in that is kind of confusing if you look at verse seven, because the way that's been preached to me, that's how you ended the sermon. Weeping may endure for a night. Oh, but joy, it comes in the morning. We shout and we leave. That's verse five. But by verse seven, he's dismayed. So if joy came in the morning, how did I get dismayed so quick? Now, once again, this is a a writing. So I'm doing this on purpose. Just just thinking about life. Sometimes life can have extremes. And what I don't want you to do is that when you taste one extreme, that you discredit the other. And that's what happens a lot. You have a real joy. You have a real moment with God. You have a real shouting, praising moment. And then a month later, you have a horrible moment. And the devil will try to tell you that the previous moment was fake. See, all that church stuff 
See, y'all, you, you've given time to all that church stuff. See, you're better off just giving up, quitting. Same thing that was told to Job. Now, we, when we look at Job, we find him while he's getting ready to go right into his trials. But what we don't see is how he became the richest man in the East, how he had all these blessings. We pick up the story when he's getting ready to go into his trials. And so his wife says, you need to just curse God and die. We're hard on the wife, but we have to think about it that when he went through, the wife went through too. But Job is like, I, I, I can't do that. I can't just curse God and die. You're talking like a foolish woman, because if I do, then what I'm saying is these horrible things I'm going through right now, I'm blaming him for that. But then I'm not thanking him for all the blessings I had up and to this point. So is there something to be said about that? Is there a power to be said about that? Maybe sometimes I've got to learn how to take the good with the bad, roll them all up together and then be like the song that says, I won't complain because I've had some good days and I've had some bad days, but all my good days have outweighed my bad days. So I'm choosing that I won't complain. Now, could I complain? Yes. See, we want to get in a situation that we have a life where we never could complain because everything's always peachy king, but that's not real life. There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. But when I look at my life over the transition, do my highs outweigh my lows? And if it's close where there's just a little bit that I'm going to make a choice I won't complain. Now, can I complain? Yes, but I won't complain. When you say I won't complain, it means that not that you won't ever have a moment of complaining, but I won't complain so much that I'm choosing to say my bad is outweighing my good. What I'm choosing to say is, God, I don't like where I am right now, but I trust you because up until this point, you haven't failed me yet completely. Have I been disappointed in some things? Yes. But somehow I'm still here, still have the activity of my limbs. I'm still thinking I could have lost my mind. I should have lost my mind, but I'm still here. So I'm going to give you a chance to see me through. All right, let's let's dig a little deeper. Let's look at verse six. I mean, verse eight. We went to six. So let's go to verse eight to you, Lord. I call to the Lord. I cried for mercy. So now th this gives us uh, some context that I think will be uh, good and helpful. And in this context, it's letting us know that one of the answers is we just cry out to God. One of the problems is we feel like we have to have it all figured out because we've heard a few sermons because we prayed a little bit. When we get in a bad situation, we're trying to figure it out. Why? How? We have a lot of questions, but sometimes what we forget to do is just cry out to God. God, I need your help. I'm confused. I'm lost. It is okay to speak those words where you are right now. It's not a lack of faith to describe where you are right now. I'm disappointed in you, God. I'm upset with you, God. No, don't, don't say that. Not saying that you would stay there, but it's okay to cry out to God where you are right now. If you look at the Psalms and you look at Lamentations, you will find 
people struggling with depression. You look at Ecclesiastes where we'll go through later. You see depression. You see people struggling and it's okay to be human and then pour that out to God. This is what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to chase a substance. He wants us to turn somewhere else. But we're supposed to turn God to God. But deep people have told us that, oh, be careful what you say. Why? Now, of course, you want to be careful to the point where you're not disrespectful to God. But if you are in relationship with God and God is your father and not only God is a father, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Then why can't you give him your real raw emotions? Why can't you cry out? And don't get so deep that you feel like you can't have those real moments with God because that's what he's there for. So let's go back to it. To you, Lord, I called to the Lord. I cried for mercy. Let's look at verse 10. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. I need you, God. I need the oh, I need the every hour. I need the oh, bless me now, my Savior. I need you to come for me right now. I need your help. I need your mercy. I don't care how many conferences I've been to. I don't care how many scriptures I've read. I don't care how many much ties I paid. Right now, I'm lost. Right now, I'm broken. Right now, I'm confused. I'm fearful. I'm stressed. I'm hurting. I don't know what to think about where I am. So God help me. And that is sometimes the most awesome prayer you can pray. Stop trying to find some deep prayer to pray and just pour out your heart like the psalmist did. I need your mercy and I need your help. And it's okay even to speak of the alternative that God, if you don't help me, my marriage will be over. If you don't help me, I'll lose my mind. If you don't help me, I'm going to go back to where I was. It is okay to articulate that because if you internalize that, that's what what happens. The bad thing about trauma is we internalize everything and we just try to keep it in and we just try to wrestle through it. And it actually does damage to our body. Let that stuff out. And it's Good if you have someone that you can talk to. If you don't, you just gotta, you just gotta give God the real and the raw. So, having said all of that, going back to that original verse and even the original message where we left off in shaken faith and then coming to the original verse we started with Psalms 36, um, Psalms 30 verse 6, I will never be shaken. So then let's just ask a simple question. What happened? What happened to shift you from one place to the next? What happened? And here is a simple answer to that. Sometimes it's really simple. Life happened. Just that simple. Well, 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 the devil, I mean, maybe you can think about the deeper paths, paths and parts of it later. But right now, it's just simple. Life happened. Life came at me fast. So how did they lose their job? Life happened. How did they end up? They hadn't drank in six months. Life happened. In other words, it helps us as ones who help other people to not be so judgmental before we jump in and help. Sometimes 
we should be jumping in and help, but we want to get all the details first. Pastor Andre, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to sign divorce papers. What happened? Well, I don't really need to know all that. I got to help them where they are. If we can salvage this marriage, I got to jump in and help. If we can't salvage this marriage, I got to jump in and help. Because the fact that they signed the papers is not just to start. Even when you need to get a divorce, it hurts because the death of anything hurts. I need to jump in and help. Pastor Andre, I lost my scholarship to school and now I got to come back home. Well, what happened? Yeah, that's a good question. But bigger than that, I got to jump in and help. And some of us are so nosy that we're not prone to help. We just want the details. It's nothing worse than somebody getting all the details and then they won't help. So you mean you had me pour my heart out to you and then you just went and blabbed it and you never gave me any help. So instead of being so focused on what happened, let's always know life happens to everybody. It happens to all of us. And that's why it's good not to put people on pedestals because when you put them on proverbial mental pedestals and life happens, then what's going to happen is you're going to start judging them because you're going to look at them and be like, I can't believe they failed. Well, believe it because they're human. That doesn't mean they should have done it. But if you're assigned to their life to help, you cannot put people in superstar, superhero, rock star status. This is not the movies. This is not happily ever after. This is life. And the more you can understand that and grasp that, the better you'll be able to help people. All right. Then I gave us a uh, uh, a picture, mental picture that I thought would help us. Here's a picture of a teeter-totter. Let's just sit there and look at there for uh, just for a moment. So this is a simple mental picture. In the teeter-totter that we've played with, enjoyed, there is an upside, there's a downside. There's no way to get around it. That's the way it is designed. The only way to get around it is to have people on both ends that create a perfect harmonious balance but when you're a kid that very rarely happened depending on what was on the other side dictated whether you were up or whether you were down if you were heavier or weightier you were going to be down if you were lighter you were going to be up and there was not much you could do to control it what I remember times, because I was always a little smaller and uh, shorter and smaller in stature than most people. What I hated was when I got to someone who wouldn't stop playing. They would sit down, and here I am up dangling in the air. And I'm like, okay, you got me, you won. And they wouldn't move. And I'm just dangling in there, and there was nothing I could do. I trying to push, trying to push. I couldn't bring myself down. I couldn't balance it out. Because it was just gravity, it was just the laws of nature, and there was nothing I could do about it. Now, that was in a situation where I was up. Now, in life, it's good to be up, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it's difficult when you're down, and there's nothing you could do about it. The only thing that could happen is you've got to have someone who's going to be on that other end who cares, 
or there, there were times where I was up and I would call a friend to come and they would get in the middle of the teeter-totter and they would jump on it and they would help me get back down. Sometimes you just need help. Don't make you a bad person. I'm going to sip, sip some tea on that. Don't make you wrong. Don't make you less of a Christian. Sometimes you just need help. You're stuck. We all have been stuck sometimes. And that's what the church should be about, is that stuck people can be unstuck. And that's beautiful. But here's the problem sometimes, is that when stuck people get unstuck, they get stuck up. They forget and they get amnesia. They forget when they were stuck. Now they're unstuck and they've been unstuck for 15 years. And the next person that comes in gets stuck. Well, you just need to pray about it. Well, baby, that ain't how you got out. You prayed about it, but somebody talked to you. Somebody checked on you. Somebody called you. Somebody loaned you money. Somebody had to be harsh with you, had to be soft with you. And all those things put together helped you get unstuck. But now that you're unstuck, you don't forgot. No, let's not be that way. And one thing that's beautiful about Deliverance Temple is we know that everybody that comes here needs some type of deliverance. And now that we are going through rough times together and it's been just one thing after the other, one thing that I think it will do, it will bring us to be as humble as we need to be for the deliverance that we preach. Because the level of the deliverance that some of us are going to walk into, it could make us get the big head. But hopefully we've been through enough junk that we would never get the big head and understand that the deliverance that we come by, it is only by the grace of God. Because, baby, we've, we've been through it. We've been in it. We've been through it. And anything that we get, let me uh, use different grammar. Anything we got, we got. By because of God, through God, by God, for God, and we give God all the glory, all the uh, grace goes to him. Everything goes to him because without him, we would be lost. That should be the mentality of every church across the globe, but it's not. But I can't worry about every church across the globe. I'm only worried about the church that I pastor. Hopefully, it's brought us to our knees to be humble so that when we do walk into whatever God has for us, we do not get sedity, stuck up. We just thank God. God is your grace. Because a few years ago, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have known what we was going to do. So that should be the mindset. Let's let's shift to someone who was humble, who was who was high and then had to to go down. Let's shift to someone who was humbled because it gives us some more context. This is Ecclesiastes chapter three. And this is written by uh, the, some versions call him the preacher. It was Solomon. It's written by Solomon. And we know uh, Solomon, the wealthiest man to ever live uh, by, by all accounts. I always throw out another man whose name is Mansa Musa. Another man who they believe is the wealthiest to ever, ever live. Both of them have uh, known to have dark, darker skin. I'll just throw it out, that out there. But anyway, Solomon is, is writing. And we know Solomon's life, how he started, but how he ended. And that there was, there was highs, highs and lows. And so when he gets to the end, he begins to just pontificate, so to speak, in his writings. And that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. He begins to talk about the vanity of life. After he's experienced all the wealth, he's like, 
Life is just a vapor. It, it, it's it's nothing. He began to understand without a real connection and a real purpose. If you just chase after everything your heart's desire, it's not going to leave you uh, really happy. It's actually going to be a lot of emptiness. And so it's good to see someone who's seen the full gamut of life to tell you and tell you, listen, and he, he actually goes to the end and says, the conclusion of the matter is, look, fear God. That's really the only thing you have. So Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book. When you, but when you get to chapter three, he gives us something that should give us wisdom for all of times, all of life. So I'm telling you that life sometimes happens. There's like a teeter-totter. It's the up and the down. But there's something that we need to understand about life. And as we look at it in verse one, it says this, for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. So life is cyclical. It's seasonal. That helps us understand it. It helps us not give up in bad times because bad times were not created to last forever. It's like a season when bad times come, good times have to come as well. But it also doesn't get you to be so sedity in good times because as a cycle, bad times might be around the corner. It makes you look for balance. It makes you understand not to go overboard. In other words, if I have a lot of money now, I may need to save and put some back later. People say put it back for a rainy day because all days are not going to be sunshiny. There might be rainy days. So wise people, when they understand the cycles of life, they say, okay, if I have money now, I'm not just going to spend it on things that are consumable. I'm actually going to buy life insurance just in case. Well, why would you waste money on life insurance? Because life is going to life. Life may not always be up. And I don't want to leave people hurting because I didn't think ahead. So I'm putting something back. I'm saving. I'm planning for the future because there's a season for everything. And so you try to prepare and wise people in good times, they prepare for bad times. And that's why you shouldn't only go to church in bad times. That's why you should go to church in good times so that you have something in store when bad times hit, you have something. So he's giving us wisdom that life is like a cycle. That's why some people call it the circle of life. Oftentimes when people are dying, somebody's being born. Life is like that. All right. So with that wisdom, let's look at verse two. Uh, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom books. Let's look at verse two, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. People like harvest time, but they don't like planting time. In order to harvest, you have to plant. But in order to plant, sometimes you got to pluck up. You got to dig up. You got to till the ground. You got to work in the sun. You got to work when it's hot. We love to shout about the harvest, but there's a planting time too. Verse three, time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. Verse four, and I stopped here for a second, a time to cry and a time to laugh. That's where I stopped on Sunday morning because as I looked at that, there's a lot of those things that seem to actually go together, like light and dark, black and white, salt and pepper. Uh, they, they seem to to jive together and even crying and laughing. But there was one added that you don't normally see go together. And so let's 
look at it in its entirety. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. It juxtaposed grieving and dancing together. Why, why would it do that? That's intriguing to me. And I, I, I understand it a little bit, but it's just something that you normally don't see going together. You, you see crying and laughing to go, going together. You see some of those other things, born and dying. Sometimes you see those going together. Uh, like, give you an example, in the uh, newspaper back in the day, they used to have deaths and births. They, they would tell you all the births and all the deaths. They actually go together. But grieving and dancing don't normally go together. So let's go back to our original text of Psalms 30. And let's pick up where we had left off. We left off in verse 10. It says, hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. So once again, we to the place where David is crying out or the psalmist is crying out. Lord, be my help. And so we said that sometimes when you are shaken, shocked and shook like that. Yes, it's true. You are unshakable, but it puts you in a place where you can't turn to anything but God. And so we left there. But look what happens in that next verse. Verse 11, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. So the grieving is only the beginning of the process. It's not the ending of the process. And it might be the grieving that causes you to be shook. But if you know how to cry out to God, then there is something else coming. Now, yes, it's a cycle, but the cycle doesn't end on the grieving part. The cycle actually ends on something else. And it's we'll, we'll look at it again. You have turned my morning into joyful dancing. In other words, the thing that is making you mourn and grieve, that is not the end of the story. Uh, my, my son is in these civic plays. And one thing I've learned about the civic plays, there are lengthy, lengthy, and normally there's something called an intermission. The story is going one way and then there's an intermission and then the story is going to close a certain way. And sometimes the way the story starts off is not how it closes. But if you leave at the intermission, then you don't get to see the end of the story. If you leave God cause you're grieving you don't get to see the end of the story. If you leave God cause you're crying, you don't get to see the end of the story. If you leave God cause you're sick, you don't get to see the end of the story. You have to not let that stop you. and You have to still cry out to God. And then maybe you can be like David. Now look at what David says again. You have turned. That's past tense. So now it makes the rest of the verses make sense to me. That's why he was able to say weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He was actually giving you a full snapshot of his life. I've been up and I've been down. And later, David said in another place, he said, I once was young. Now I'm old. 
but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He said, when I step back and I look at the fullness of my life, I've had some horrible times, but I can say confidently he never left me in the bad times. So I know with a hope and a surety that there's another day coming. So all I, all I got to do is I got to hold on till my change comes. Because my change is going to come. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I can't tell you when it's going to happen. And if it was up to me, I would pull the little slot machine lever and make it happen quicker. But it may not happen like that. But I'm going to hold on till my change comes. And I'm going to confidently be able to say, you turned my morning into dancing. And you've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. You stripped off my grave clothes and put on clothes of joy. You've put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now let's look at verse 12. That I may sing praises to you and not be silent. He said, Here, here's the thing. There's some folk can go through life. They can go through their Christian experience and they can be non-radical. They can be silent Christians. They can be sweet, cute, silent Christians. Nothing wrong with that. But when you've been through the hell we've been through and it turns, baby, I can't be silent. I, I, I can't have cute, pretty church. I might holler when I get to church because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've come through. You don't know what I've been faced with. You don't know what's gone through my head. And if I can praise, I'm going to praise. Jay Moss had a song that said, I got a praise on the inside that I can't keep to myself. I, I can't keep quiet. You have blessed me so much that I cannot be silent. My praise is a loud praise. It's a boisterous praise. And I'm not just talking about volume level. I'm talking about living out loud that when you see me, I don't act like it was Ball State education that did it for me. I don't act like it was General Motors that did it for me. I don't even act like it was my bishop in my denomination. I confidently say this is the Lord's doing. If you call me anointed, this is not Andre. It's not books I read. It's not some fancy preacher who put hands on my head. No, this was the Lord. It was the Lord that brought me out. It was the Lord that turned me around. It was the Lord that set my feet on solid ground. I should have lost my mind. I could have lost my mind, but God stepped in, in the nick of time and he turned it around. He turned things for me. And so I'm speaking from experience, but now I've got a new test and a new trial. And I'm just believing that I'll be able to say once again, he turned it. He did it. Now, would I like him to do it without all the pain? Yes. But it is what it is. Pain is where we are. But I'm still believing that he has the power to turn it. And he will. So coming all the way back to the beginning, I hope you dance. So I said I wasn't going to talk about this to the very end. And so that's what I did. I hope you dance. So I got this in my prayer closet. 
It wasn't literally in the closet, but just praying to God, wondering why, how. So here's honestly what I'm wondering. How do I get up and keep preaching hope to these people? And we keep getting all this. And we ain't talking about little stuff. We're talking about horrible, excruciating stuff. How do I, how do I keep doing this? I don't know if I can keep doing this, God, if you don't come through for us. Because this is it's too difficult. It's too difficult to keep preaching faith and watching people break because of life stuff and me breaking too. It'd be different if I, did, if I was in it for the money and I didn't care about the people. It'd be different. I can get up there and just pull out some sermon and, you know, say a few things and we dismiss and y'all give me y'all money. I care too much. I ain't in this for the money. So I'm praying to God and I'm just like, whew, this is rough. How do I do this, God? Why do I have to do this? Is there something wrong with me? Have I messed up? Do I need to get out the way? Do you need another pastor, another preacher? Let me know. These are just, just processes that I'm going through in my mind, but I'm talking to God. I'm praying, praying to God. And God's not really talking back like in a lot of ways. But I remember this song just starts playing in my head. And it's an old country song called I Hope You Dance. And I'm thinking about the song. And as I'm thinking about the song, I said, I said Alexa, play the song. Because Alexa in my room, sometimes when they play the song, they bring up the lyrics. And so I'm laying in my bed and I, and I rose up. And I said, Alexa, play I Hope You Dance. I don't even know who it's by. And I was hoping Alexa would play the right one. But when it started, it started playing that country song. I was like, yeah, that's the one. That's the song that I'm looking for. And I started looking at the lyrics and I seen these lyrics right here. And I said, Alexa, stop. And I laid back down and I knew I was going to preach on this. I just didn't know how, didn't know how it was going to come together. I didn't know how it would come out. But those things just gripped me. I hope you dance. And I hadn't even forgot about he'll turn the morning into dancing. God gave me all of that later. But it just started off me praying and an old country song coming. Sometimes you, you can't put God in the box of how he'll speak to you. He speaks through all kinds of ways. So this song is by a woman named Leanne Womack. I think someone, a couple other people sing it. But this is the lyrics that jumped out to me. Here's the lyrics. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. In other words, I hope you still stay in awe. Whenever one door closes, I hope one more opens. Promise me. That you'll give faith a fighting chance. That that stuck that stuck out to me. Because I'm praying to God is how do I keep preaching hope and faith to these people when things are not turning out right? It's hard to keep promising them the promises of God and they're not seeing it. And that's not to say that we haven't seen anything. We have seen a lot of things. But there are certain blows that make you forget the good stuff. So when the good stuff and the blows are running neck and neck, it don't feel like you're winning. The blows have to out. I mean, the blows have to fall to the good stuff. It has to outweigh like the teeter totter. So it's like, how do I keep doing this? And God says, I hope through this song, I hope you still give faith a fighting chance. In other words, I hope you don't give up on your faith now. This is the wrong time to stop preaching faith, Andre. 
This is the wrong time to stop infusing the people with hope. This is the wrong time to step back. Our hope, you still give faith a fighting chance. Promise me. Well, actually, says promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And what that speaks to me is you can get hit so hard that you still choose. I'm still going to be saved, but I'm setting everything on on the shelf. I'm just going to exist. I'm just going to exist till heaven. That's all I know how to do. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just 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 going to exist. Don't don't ask much from me. Don't ask me to believe for much. Pray for much. Listen. You're good to get me to stay saved. That's it. I'm not going to backslide, but I'm not really going to move forward. I'm just going I'm just going to exist. And the songwriter said, if you get a chance to sit it out like that, I hope you dance. I hope you don't just sit it out. I hope you actually get back out on the dance floor. I hope you swing again. I hope you hope again. I hope you believe again. I hope you try again. I hope you dream again. Truthfully, you've been through enough to sit it out. You've been through enough to call it quits without quitting. Some people have quit without ever quitting. There's some marriages they don't quit without ever going to the divorce court. But if you get a chance to do that, I hope you don't. I hope you actually dance. And I see there's going to come a time where God is going to say, can I have this dance? And I hope you stick your head out. Say, God, I trust you enough to dance again. Then I closed with this story. Run anyway. I told the story of how I was watching my niece play softball and looking and seeing uh, several little girls on both teams strike out. And then it dawned on me that they would strike out and then they would run to the base. And so then what I thought was, oh, I misunderstood. Maybe they didn't strike out. Maybe they hit and I missed something. But it happened a couple too many times. And then Kelly looked at me. She's like, in this league, they have a rule that even if you strike out, if you can, you can try to make it to first base. And later and late in the uh, end of this message, that just came back to me. And I thought of this idea run anyway. And the the idea of striking out is these girls, it wasn't like they weren't trying. They were trying and they just struck out. Either the pitcher was better than them or something happened or they tried. They just struck out. Sometimes you struck out not because you've done anything wrong. You swing. You've practiced. You showed up. And at the end of the day, you still struck out. You done done everything you know to do. And it still didn't turn out the way you thought it should turn out. And in most cases, you're out. You got to go sit down. But in this particular league, they had shifted and adjusted the rules. And you can run anyway. You can try to get on base anyway. And what I'm saying is you may be shook. You may have struck out. But I'm telling you that God has changed the rules and you can still run anyway. You can still get on base. And I, I watched how there were people who struck out that got on base and they were able to make it home. Now, now when they struck out, 
That was considered an out. The other team still got one out. But they still have, they got to get two more to make you quit. And so some of them folk got on base and they was running and they was getting home. So they struck out, but they still made a run. And so what I'm saying to us, we have tried our best. Sometimes we just struck out. Had no idea our bishop would go on vacation and die away from us. Me as his protege, don't even get to have a final conversation with him. Checking everything and they're saying uh, everything's the same. Nothing's happened. So I'm of the mind, the faith of mind, no news is good news. Then all of a sudden it changes quick. And I'm away and I got to rush and get down there. I get down there and it feels like there's life yet in this room. We're believing it. it I had no idea that things would shift and turn. I mean, even though even though things had shifted and turned, when I got there and seen it for myself, it, there was nothing in me that believed he wasn't coming home. Before I went there, I was nervous. But when I actually laid eyes on him and seen and felt the anointing in the room, I was convinced it was going to be okay. Go home, hopeful. Go to church Sunday. Sunday night, I get a call. Mama said, the doctor said, he's not going to make it through the night. That was nowhere in my mind. And some people are saying, why, why, why don't you say nothing? Why Y'all was trying to keep it private. I wasn't trying to keep nothing private. It changed. It shifted. I had no way to prepare for it. And the next thing you know, I'm planning the funeral. Not, not, not just that. The next thing you know, my mom is telling me, I need you to tell your siblings. I'm at work and I got to muster the strength to tell my siblings he might not make it through the night. That ain't what I was preparing for. That ain't what I had in my mind, but it's what happened. But guess what? I'm going to run anyway. I won't bring up what we just recently went through because it's too painful to talk about, but I'm going to run anyway. I'm going to keep swinging. I'm keep getting up to the bat and I'm going to keep running. And guess what? I already know in the end, we're going to win. That's how we will close this evening. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious heavenly father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you and honor you and appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean. God, you understand my heart. You know my heart. And as I share my heart with these people, I pray that you galvanize us even the more, strengthen us even more, wake us out of our stupor, thinking that, oh, we got time. Help us come together and make this ministry what it needs to be. Because the love that we have could save a nation. So help us step into everything we need to step into. And God, when it's time to dance, I hope we dance and I give you praise for it in Jesus name. Amen. I just want to say God bless you to you all. We love you. Appreciate you. Continue to pray for us. Pray for 
loved ones. Pray for our city. Let's stay focused on the things of God until we see you again. God bless you all.